welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. We've been in the book of Ephesians, and it's been amazing. We've been having this great time and conversation around this particular book of Scripture. And I believe that God has something transformational in this for you, for me, for us today. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read a few verses of Scripture here in just a moment. Um, But before we do... I was reminded as I was thinking about the scripture about how it is that we're all sort of in this cycle. How many of you are not somebody that, that takes like uh, somebody doing something wrong to you real easily? That's hard for you to deal with. Probably all of us, right? That's stupid for me to even ask that question because no one likes for us to be done wrong. But I'm not one of those people that get mad. I just get even. Maybe that's not you, but that, that, that's how I am. Particularly when it comes to the world of pranks. I remember this one girl, she had totally trashed my car. And so usually uh, for me, I'm not somebody that just gets somebody back immediately. I sort of wait until they forgot all about the fact that they even did this to me. And so I remember this one girl, her name was Liz, and she did something pretty uh, nasty to my car. And I was like, okay, it's no problem. And I just acted like it was all cool. I said, I'm, I'm not going to do anything, you know, right now. I said, it's just all good. She said, are you mad? I said, no, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at all. I'm not mad at all. And so anyway, I waited for like four years. Four years I waited. And so she was going to get married to one of my good buddies. And I said, hey, man, do you think you could get me her key? Because I need to uh, uh, give something to her, deposit a present in her car. I know you guys are getting ready to get married. He's like, yeah, man. So he hands me her car key. Dumb idea. And so I filled this girl's woman's car up with all of these trash bags that I could find from the dumpster. I mean, to the top, from the bottom of the floor, the trunk, everywhere. And then I put this gigantic Hallmark card just saying, hey, thank you. You know, it was great to... To, to have this opportunity, have put, sign my name on it. And that was pretty bad, but what I really wanted to do, none of those were actually the prank. The prank was actually underneath her seat. It was a can of sardines that I opened up just a little bit. And this is central Florida. And this is the middle of the summer. So they clean out the trash. They think it's no big deal. And they said, we can't get the smell out of this car, man. What'd you do? And so I kind of let it go on for a couple of weeks. I said, ah, oh, man. I said, reach under the driver's seat. And so they did. And then they saw the can of open sardines. They're like, you got us so good. It was terrible. I shouldn't have done it. But I, I, I needed to do that because they got me, so I'm getting them. That's how it goes, right? That's how we live. Maybe we shouldn't do that, but we do. Here's the thing. We all participate in that cycle. And today I want to talk to you about breaking the cycle. You're in a cycle, I'm in a cycle, we're all in a cycle, and we're all sort of giving life to this cycle. Whether there's an argument that's going on, or the grudge that you have in your heart, or, or maybe it's a cycle of debt that you're not able to break out of, or maybe it's a relationship cycle where you keep dating the same person over and over again. They have different names, but it's pretty much the same loser that you dated the first time. It's just a different person with a different name. Cycles, we're all in them. And we're all participating in this cycle. So I want you to say out loud, break the cycle. Say it. Break the cycle. Today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to break some cycles. Ephesians' big idea is that there is this cosmic battle that's going on. 
We see it explicitly explained in Ephesians chapter 6 where it says we wrestle not with flesh and blood but against powers and principalities and rulers in high places. Paul's point is this, is that there's a spiritual battle going on all of the time. And in this chapter, he's talking about cycles. Cycles that we participate in that actually bring destruction into our lives. Cycles that we are all party to. Cycles of injustice. Cycles of hate, cycles of racism, cycles of bitterness, cycles of party power, political party power, that it's really the same thing, just a different voice screaming it. Cycles, and this morning I hope through the scripture that we can learn a little bit about how we can break that. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, Paul is addressing these cycles, and here's what he says, and although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived, according to the world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us also formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." What's interesting about this text, this first part of this scripture, is that he's trying to make a correlation between the lives of those that live in the world with the lives of those that are in the church. Now he's saying things like, in your former life, in the former way in which you live, in this former things. But if you flip back just a page or just a few verses, you see that he's praying for the church that they would actually live into the virtue of Christ, that they would know Christ, that they would know his power, and that they would actually experience new life. Not just for themselves, but to be a part of bringing new life into the world. So he's saying in your former life, this is how you were. But what he's really saying is, this is how you still are. This is how you're supposed to be, but you're still somewhat in the cycle. You're kind of in the middle. You know about Christ. You know about who he is. You know about his purposes and plans for you, but you're still a part of the cycle. Children of wrath. The idea here is this, is that we are all participating in this world of injustice, and he wants to help us to get out of it. He goes on to say, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. This idea of the cycle is important for us to grasp because I think sometimes that we believe like many folks, because we've heard of Christ, we've known this message, that we are not a part of the problem in the world. That we're not a problem, we're not a part of the hate that we see that's going on in our, 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 our workplaces or in our families. 
That it's not our fault that the argument that we're having with our spouse keeps going around in cycles and we're not getting anywhere. That our debt situation isn't turning around because it's not our fault, it's the government's fault, it's the, it's the banker's fault. It's always somebody else's fault that we're in the cycle that we're in. Paul's trying to point the attention back to the church and saying, no, the problem is us. Because we drive by the same homeless person every single day and don't help him get out of his cycle. By not helping him, we're continuing the cycle. By not going out of our way to help that person that's wounded, we perpetuate more wound. The point then that he's trying to make is that, that there's going to be a break in the cycle. Somebody has to, at some point, decide that they're going to do something different. Through the years of counseling that I've had with married folks, single folks, people that are trying to and aspiring for a new position at a job or to start a business, that all of us, if we're going to break out of the old mode of doing things, then we have to adopt a new mentality, if you will, to break the toxic cycles that we are existing in and that we are helping to perpetuate. As children of wrath, as scripture says, not God's wrath, mind you, the wrath that we continue to build by not acting as we ought to, just creates further chaos in the world. The poverty situation that we live within, the emotional uh, baggage that we constantly carry around, these cycles are stuff that we actively participate in by not living into the virtue of Christ, by not adopting his character and living as we should. So if we say that there's too much hate in the world, what are you doing to stop the hate? If the world is filled with racists, what are you doing to stop racism? If you can't seem to break out of the, the, the relationship cycle that you're in, what are you doing differently in the relationship? Who are you choosing differently? These are important questions to ask ourselves. And really just brings us to the point that if we want a new destiny, then we've got to learn some new tendencies. New destinies require new tendencies for you, for me, for us. If we want different outcomes or if we want to break a toxic cycle, we have to live differently in the world. Otherwise, we're just a participator in it. Sometimes by actively engaging it and actively creating more problems or... Worse yet, passively participating. Passively not doing something about what's going on in the world. Driving by or walking by need or just going through your life. Not actually engaging a process that will bring transformation. So Paul's writing this letter and we get hints and clues about his point here in what it is that he's, he's communicating. He's saying that in your former life you're that way. No, that's what your former life's supposed to look like. But the reason I'm writing this letter to you is because this is still a problem. And the reason why we have this letter today and it's been preserved for all of these thousands of years is because the Spirit is still speaking to us as God's church. But if we're going to break the cycle, I mean, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to know our address. Like, where are we right here now? 
How are we participating in it? I remember some years ago, I was taking this uh, uh, person home from our church when we were in Pennsylvania, asked for a ride home. And I asked them the question, I said, well, where do you, where do you live? And they coughed out some address of someplace I had never been before. So I live at 33 Sycamore Street. And I'm like, where the heck is Sycamore Street? And it was before the days of like GPS on your phone and that kind of thing. And we were too poor to have one of the little Tom Toms and that, that, that uh, GPS at that particular time. So we didn't have anywhere. I don't know Sycamore Street is. And I was like, well, how do I get there? And they said, I don't know. That's awesome. How long have you been coming to this church? This is like six years. Six years. I look at my wife. It's been six years. She don't know how to get home from here after six years of going to the same place. The problem is she knew where she wanted to go, but she didn't really understand the location she was. And I think that's substan- our substantial problem with our world is that we believe falsely that it's everybody else's problem. We don't realize how it is that we participate in these same acts of injustice that we, by not doing anything, are doing everything to continue the cycle of pain, of toxicity in our homes, in our schools, in our places of employment. We are a part of that because we don't recognize where we're at. We don't recognize that we have been creating the world that we now live in. If you don't like where you're at right now in life, the first place you need to look for change, of course, to God. But second, in the mirror. Because we have created the world that we now live. Circumstances happen to us, and we can't control those circumstances, but we always control our response to those circumstances. Here, then, is Paul's point. If we are to respond in a way that's Christ-like, we have to stop participating in old modes of thought expecting a different outcome. But that's how foolhardy we are most often is that we continue to do the same things expecting different results. We continue to speak to our spouse in the tones that we've been speaking all these years and we wonder why our marriage isn't getting better. You can pray to Jesus all you want, but until you apply Jesus' ethic in your marriage, it's going to continue to struggle. The same comes with our study habits. The same comes with our work habits. The same comes with the way that we treat our neighbors. How many of you even know the neighbors' names that live next to you or two houses down? And we say that there's too much hate or indifference in the world, and yet we don't even know the people that live two houses or three houses down from us. Here is where the scripture really hits us, doesn't it? Because we know that we are a part of this problem. That my address, my location is someone that is all about the cycle. If you get me, I get you. Or if we're not willing to get them, we ask God to get them. Lord, you handle it. We say justice is mine. Say the Lord, Lord, you handle this. You take care of this problem. You bring justice to them. And and that's all fine and good. But really we want God to just whoop their behind because we can't. And when we have that kind of mentality, what happens is is that we're just furthering what is already going on. At some point, someone has to do something different or the cycle never changes. At some point, there's got to be a new mode of thought that enters into our psyche. But here's where the enemy does battle against us. Because we were born into this system, you, me, us. It's easier for us to respond in these ways than it is in a Christ-like way. It's just easier for us to just keep the cycle going. But when the world doesn't improve and nations are still rising against nation where hate overpowers love because people would rather hate than love, we have to figure what ways are we responsible for this? 
How are we a part of God's transforming presence within the world? Because that's what we're called to be. We often want to know and want to get to where it is that we're going, but we're not willing to put in the work to get there. I remember some young man from our church in Florida where we were at, and I was talking to him, and I said, hey, man, what do you want to do? And he's like, man, I, I really want to be a, an artist. And this guy's vocals were out of this world. I mean, he could sing, and he really had the goods. I mean, talent-wise, he had everything he needed to succeed. The problem was is he didn't know his address. He couldn't get out of his own way to get where it was he was going because he had all of these cycles in life, cycles of debt, cycles of the way that he treated other people, cycles of, of emotional wound that he continued to recycle in his life over and over again. And every time he'd make a little progress, all of these roadblocks that he had set in his own path kept tripping him up. And so he kept finding himself still at go. Now, six years after the fact, he's still at go, hoping to get to some place that he could have easily gotten if he had just pushed these things aside. If he decided within himself, I've got to develop new tendencies or new habits if I want new outcomes. Sometimes we want it all to happen to us, not realizing it needs to be happening through us. Here's what Paul is saying. Among, uh, among whom all of us formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh. If I just do what I want to do, indulging the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and we're, we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, we're no different than what the world sees. If we want a new destiny, we've got to live into the kind of tendencies that will create that and help that to happen. To stop the toxic thinking, toxic patterns, and to live into a new hope. Here, though, is where we need to learn to embrace the interruptions. God puts interruptions in our life, every one of them, for a purpose. Now, you guys saw my, my baby. She was up here on the front row earlier. She was doing a little worship and, and sleep at the same time. I mean, that's just how she rolls. And she's good like that. But she's one years old, and she doesn't do anything fast. Okay, if you know me, I'm in a perpetual competition with something. If it's I'm driving down on vacation and it's a place I've been before, I'm trying to beat my former time down to get there. If I'm going at the gym and I'm running on the treadmill, I'm trying to beat the last time that I ran on the treadmill. I'm always in this perpetual uh, competition with myself, sometimes with others, but mostly with myself, just always trying to outdo what I did. So this hurry that I'm in all the time doesn't like interruptions very much because I'm always on a mission. I'm always going somewhere. But this one-year-old daughter of mine who knows how to walk is constantly interrupting my world because she does nothing fast. We leave the house. Every pace she takes is slow. Why? Because she's got to pick up every jolly well thing that she finds on the ground on the way to wherever it is we're going. Every rock, every blade of grass, noticing birds flying by in the air. And these interruptions are a nuisance to me because I'm on a mission. But the interruption is a window to see the world in a different way than I've ever seen it. To notice the color of the feather of the bird. To see the contours of the rock. And to notice God's beauty bounding forth in our midst. But when we're in such a rush or we're so busy not to do the inward care that we need and must have if we're going to make progress, 
what happens is, is that the interruptions become a nuisance instead of the gift to bestow new grace upon our lives. Paul's pointing the church to see the interruption in history to the cycle that had been going on for millennia before he writes this text. He notes, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love which, with which he loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. What's he saying? It's that in the middle of all of the cycle of wrath, where everyone is always trying to get even, where the arguments seem to cycle around in circles in that world, Christ inserts himself and says, I'm not going to take wrath out on you. Instead, I'm going to introduce mercy into this equation. Now, this is a big deal because Christ is the creator of the world. The world's his. You were created for his pleasure, the world for his goodness, and we have made a mess of the world that he created. If anybody should be ticked off, it should be Christ. But instead of continuing to argue with us about what, what's right and what's wrong, he says, no, forget it. No more arguments with you. No more rules, no more laws. Instead, right here, right now, you've offended me, but I'm not going to take it out on you. Here is some mercy. Instead, I'm taking a step back, and not only mercy, but I'm going to offer grace. What is this grace? Grace is not God not giving us what we've deserved. You've heard that, but that's kind of flat. It's not really the whole definition of what grace is. It's, I can't, therefore God must, is something bigger, that God is adding something to us. Not only is he saying, I'm not going to hold you accountable for the wrongs that you've committed against me, but I'm going to add something in your life so that you can overcome the wrongs yourself and you can enter into the new life that I have prepared for you. Paul's writing this, that this is rich mercy. Now, this is how God interrupts the cycle, which is crazy to me. He steps right into our world of wrath and he becomes a participator in the wrath, but not in the ways that we have to continue to perpetuate it. He steps in front of the wrath and says, though I am innocent, I will allow the whole world to take its wrath out on me. And he does so on the cross. He takes all of the wrath, all of the sin, all of the punishment. He takes it all within himself, his rich mercy, giving to you, to me, to us, a new opportunity, a new way of life, an opportunity to be saved by this grace. To break the cycle. To break the cycle, to allow God to insert himself right in the center of our crisis, right in the center of our broken places, right in the center of our unproductive places in our hearts, in our spaces, in our marriage that are struggling with our kids that we can't seem to get to turn around. In those places, God interrupts the cycle and says, no mercy and grace and power to overcome. And every interruption... Every interruption that we come across in this life is an opportunity to witness mercy. No matter how difficult or tragic or heartbreaking the interruption is, if we are attentive, just like my daughter teaching me to walk slowly through the streets and to notice the birds, God says, if you'll notice that even in the deepest pain, and even in the midst of a cycle of vengeance and racism and, and brokenness, I am there 
to bring mercy and grace and power to overcome. What a beautiful gift. But sometimes, just like the way in which we read this text most of the time, we miss it. We assume that children of wrath means that God is the one that's bringing the wrath. But as we read slowly, we see that it's not God that's brought the wrath upon the world, but it's us through our sin and the ways in which we have treated one another. That is what has brought wrath. And now God says, no, I am giving you the key to overcome that. And that key is through my grace to learn a whole new way of being. To work it out. To work out the kinks. I thought you said, Pastor, that it is by grace that we're saved through faith. It is that, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I thought you said that. It's not by works, but that doesn't mean that we still don't need to work it out. We read in Paul's letters that we need to work out our salvation. Part of that is, is that sometimes we're not really clear on our own need for grace and our own need for mercy. In part because we tend to be a lot more generous with ourselves than we are for others. We judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our best intentions. Well, on my best day when I'm driving down the road, I'm generous. Not thinking about all the other days that I drive by and I'm not. And so we remember the times that we have done good and forget about the times that we haven't. But we will be quick to judge those that haven't because we've judged them on based on very small slices of their lives. As we work it out, we recognize our own need for grace. And that's a hard thing. I met this fellow some years ago, and he really struggled with that. He was talking to me about things. I always feel like I'm not good enough. I always feel like I, God doesn't love me, or that God doesn't have a plan for me, that God doesn't want me around. And I said, it's not grace if we deserve it. It's grace precisely because we don't. It's grace that is there, that's available for us. And it's not something that you just accept or receive. It's something you dive into like in the deep end of a pool. That once you dive into God's grace, it surrounds you and swells over you and will drown you even. That's what this grace does. It's powerful that way. When you get out of the pool, there's not a part of you that's not wet when you've jumped into the deep end. In the same way, when you've jumped into who Christ is, that work is done. So it's never been about your righteousness anyways or how good you can be. This is not the works that create salvation, but certainly as we jump in, we come out. And when we come out, we are more righteous because we have spent time with Christ. When we immerse ourselves in the character and in the virtue of Christ, we, by participation, become more virtuous. The point then for the church is that we recognize our need for this virtue and ask the Lord to help us so that we can also have his character and break the toxic cycles in our lives. To get out of the world stuck in between, I know that I'm not who I used to be, but here is where I'm trying to go and I have these cycles that I need to break, otherwise I'll never get here. Not by works so no one can boast. It's a really funny phrase because many have taken this to believe that as Christians, we don't work. We are saved by faith, faith alone. Not gonna argue that, that's absolutely true. 
But the word faith for them is not just a flat word, something that we possess. I believe in God. That's my faith. That's my trust. It is that. But that's not the whole definition. To have faith means that I put my trust in this to the degree that it affects my action. If I put my faith in my wife and say, I believe my wife is going to be faithful to me, but then was always questioning her character about whether or not she was actually having fidelity towards me, whether or not she was cheating on me or running around behind my back, I'm not really a person of faith, am I? Similarly, if we have faith in Christ, it means that our actions will correspond with our confession. Hear that. If we truly have faith, their understanding of faith, our actions will correspond with our confession. And when our actions correspond with our confession, Christ's power is at work through and in us. He says that we are seated with Christ. What is this business of being seated with Christ at the high, in the high place, in the holy place? It's that God has scooped us up and now given us a different perspective of the world. That when we're wronged, we don't wrong back. When we're wounded, we don't wound back. When we are broken, we don't continue to create more brokenness. No, instead, we break the cycle. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are wounded, we heal by doing different things than we did to get ourselves into that situation. Or by placing ourselves in a healthier space so that someone can have access to wound us in the same way. These are important characteristics of kingdom living. And what Paul means when he says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Everyone knows that verse that follows before that. For it is by grace we're saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God not by works and no one could boast. But in the immediate verse he says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good works break the cycle. Good conversation and kind words turn away wrath. New tendencies that are reflective of Christ's character break toxic cycles that have been holding us from the best life that God wants to give to you, to me, and to us. As the new creation in Christ, each of us are responsible to live into this. It's not that we don't work for salvation, but if you are really a Christian, you will work because you can't not get unwet from jumping into the deep end of the pool. And when you are immersed in Christ's character and actions, you reflect that by the way in which you live. This is so important for us in our world because we see the battle going on for, for, for rights and for privilege and for trying to get a step up. But sometimes... The step up first requires us to take a step back to analyze where we're at in this process to know our address and how it is that we've actually helped to create this world of injustice the brokenness in our home the conflict that we're having with our kids and to ask God's help letting the interruption moment the pain sort of signal to us that we need God's help Pain is a gift to us like that. It shows us that the world itself isn't right and that we can then have change. And so when our world is interrupted by pain, we apply the gift that God has for healing of that pain so that we can emerge from it never to go back. 
This is what God wants for you and for me and for us. And we work it out. Because this isn't something that just happens one and done. It's not just because we've said that, Jesus, I'm going to follow you my whole life, that these cycles don't happen to us and aren't perpetuating all over the place. They are. And they're harmful. And they hurt us. But to break the cycle, we've got to start doing different things. And Christ's character and behavior teaches us just how to do that. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. This point... Yes, Jesus, I hear you. By the way, that's, that's my phone. I'm, I'm sorry. People, people call me at all times. Somebody just said, picks up the phone and say, hey, good word, pastor. Um, <clears throat> preach. Because nobody's saying preaching here today. I know it's been a little uh, 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 soulish for us this morning on purpose. This is where Ephesians has us, but more so where God has us. But this truth of the scripture was really illustrated very well in the character of this, this woman named Renee recently. Renee was somebody that had been through a hellish experience. Her daughter Megan and her friend Joe were on their way to the, the beach one Friday night or Saturday morning. And on the way to the beach, a young man, Eric, who'd had a little bit too much to drink in the bar that night, just 24 years of age, got in his car, thinking he had it all under control, said he didn't feel drunk or inebriated to the point of, of not being able to capably drive his vehicle. So he got behind the car and started to drive. He crashed head on with Megan and Joe. Good Lord. That's how you know that there was real battle going on. <laughs> My phone is off. It's actually connected to the, the, the computer back there for some reason. We'll have to situate that later. But Megan and Joe were instantly snapped into eternity. And Renee, this mother, she was devastated. Nothing worse in life than losing a kid, I've heard. Broken, just totally beaten up. And she says, you know, I don't want anybody else to have to go through this. And so she became a spokeswoman for MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. She went traveling around telling the story about how Eric had taken what was most precious to her, her daughter, from her because he was careless, didn't think enough about someone else and got behind the wheel, was warning students in cafeterias and in gymnasiums and in auditoriums about the perils of alcoholism. But one day she started thinking, you know, this message, though it's effective, and though I hear lots of people come to me and they say, you know, that's quite a story you have, it, it felt a little bit hollow to her. She wondered if it was really making a difference and bringing change. She prayed and she said, God, I need your help. I feel like you've called me to be a spokesperson for this organization and to talk about this, but I feel like my message is empty. And the Lord says, because it is. The reason it's empty is because you haven't walked through forgiveness yet. She thinks to herself, forgiveness. Like, can I really forgive someone that has done that to me? I've, sure, I've uttered the words, Lord, I forgive him. But the Lord says, no, nah, it's not enough. Like, true forgiveness, you need to own this. Go meet him. He's in jail. You know, he got a 22-year sentence, and you were celebrating the fact that justice was served. Go to him in prison. 
knowing that he probably wouldn't greet her at first, she sent letters in advance saying that she wanted to meet with him. Finally, he agrees, and she goes up, and they're talking on the telephone between a large piece of plexiglass. And she says to him, I want you to know you took what was most precious to me and my daughter, but I forgive you. And I want you to know that I'm not holding you accountable for that sin anymore. I release you of that. And he says to her, how could you do that to me? I took what was most precious to you. I can't receive this. And he just, conversation ends and dissolves. And she thinks to herself, you know he's right. He's going to be suffering here for a long time. So she petitions the judge and says, I know he got a 22-year sentence. He killed two people. I would like to forgive him for the debt for my daughter's death. He's almost served 11 years. Let him finish the 11 years, the second 11. Judge, I'm petitioning you. Would you release him? He gets word that she's doing this, and she has another arrangement to see him, and she's talking to him on the phone this time and again, and he's like, why would you do that? He says, because God's forgiven me, and I want you to know I forgive you. You took my daughter. Now you're going to be my son. The judge bought her appeal under the conditions that she had stipulated inside her, her letter that he would travel with her and tell the full story, the whole perspective of what forgiveness can do. The son that had taken a daughter is now embraced as a son in this woman's home eating Thanksgiving and Christmas meals at this house. But the grace doesn't fully take hold until he himself realizes that he needs to also forgive. Forgive himself for what he had done to break the cycle of his, reg his regret and pain. To break the cycle of the pain that had been inflicted upon him that made him turn to alcohol to try to self-medicate what was going on in his own heart. That forgiveness needed to work its way through him and then it did. And this duo, this uncommon match now travel the world telling others yes about the perils of drinking and driving but more so about the power of forgiveness forgiveness broke the cycle forgiveness broke the cycle of hate of anger of years of, of wound it broke the cycle and now new life was forming the story was picked up by CBS Broadcasted to millions of people, they heard Renee tell the story. Matthew West heard the story too and wrote the song that sometimes you hear on the radio by the same title, Forgiveness. Sometimes we think by holding bitterness or grudges that we're hurting the person on the other end, maybe to some degree we can because we're getting even, we're getting back, we're getting ours. But really we're the ones in prison so long as we're holding on to those things. Today, the Lord wants to break cycles in your heart and in your life and your family. Generational problems. Maybe you come from generations of divorce and you can't put together a functional marriage. Maybe you come from a broken home where you lost a parent and you're struggling to parent your kid. The Lord wants to break those cycles of pain and bring new life. Break cycles of self-inflicted wounds that continue to hamper your progress today. The Lord wants to break those cycles. 
We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. The most beautiful part about the scripture though is this. Verse 7, to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That there would be a witness in every generation of God's presence bounding forth in its midst by his church living into the virtue of Christ. Offering forgiveness, offering peace, offering love, seeing tangibly Christ at work to the coming ages, every generation after Christ's work alive in his church. This is why Paul was inspired by the Spirit to write is because he knew that someday there'd be people 2,000 years from the place. Or maybe he had no clue how far the reach would have. Just knew that God had inspired these words and now they're being offered to us. What are we going to do with them? This is that moment. For you, for me, for us. To decide now what we do with the cycles in our lives. Are we going to break them once and for all and say your hold on my life is done. I'm moving away from this and into the grace that God has for me. I'm going to break the cycle and I'm going to live into the new life of Christ. This is what Paul wants. There's a battle. And even now as I'm talking, some of you are saying I can't forgive him for what he's done. Pastor, if you would have seen the abuse I went through as a kid, who are you hurting by holding on to that stuff? Just you. Let it go and live into the grace of Christ, his power, his mercy, his love. Pray with me, Lord. Right now, I'm Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church.